welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. So welcome this morning. Uh, If you've been around here for a while, you would know that we've been talking about Moses. Um, And I'm not going to be talking about that this morning. I kind of want to... We've sort of covered the first two-thirds of Moses' life, really, right up into the point where God calls him and the, the whole burning bush thing and that God gave Moses this amazing second chance. And Moses was a man who thought that he was somebody, realized that he was a nobody and then discovered what God can do with a nobody. And I think the challenge for a lot of us in that was that it doesn't matter kind of what we think we have or we don't have, that God wants to work in and through our lives. That God is a God who says it doesn't matter what you've got to offer as long as you offer it to Him and He will use it for His glory. Now, there's a lot more to the story of Moses. There's a whole other 40 years and there's all the the plagues and the delivery from Egypt, but I kind of just... I want to uh, take things in a, in a different direction this morning. But really the story that, that we've been looking at with this person of Moses was the story of a guy who ultimately was learning to follow God. He was learning how to trust God's plan. He was learning how not to kind of, you know, run ahead and do things his own way or to give up on, on the call of God, but to trust and listen for that voice of God, trusting God when it seems like His timing is off. Who's ever felt like God's timing is off? Trusting God when it feels like He's made a bad judgment call. Who's ever felt like God's made a bad decision? Yeah, it's okay. It's like probably most of us have, um, especially when it comes to, you know, like, I think you've picked the wrong person here, God. And that was kind of Moses' whole thing, wasn't it? He's like, um, God, at first he was like, yes, I'm going to do it, I'm the man. And, and then as he discovered that, you know, he, he didn't really have what it took, um, then he was like, you know, God, you can't use me. We tried this and it didn't work. And uh, you, you've got the wrong guy, send somebody else. And I think we can all kind of relate to a little bit of that, send somebody else. But the, the whole concept of learning to hear God's voice and following God is not really exclusive to the life of Moses, is it? In fact, we see it throughout nearly the entirety of the story of God's people. And in particular, the Gospels. When we read about the story of Jesus, we see God who became a human being, who walked among us and called us, who called people to follow Him. The call of Jesus was not a call to obey more rules or obey more laws, they already had uh, plenty of laws, didn't they? They already had God's law, but the call that Jesus gave, just as God has been calling people to do since the beginning of creation, is to walk with Him, to follow Him, to be in relationship with Him. A God who is not far away, but a God who is near to us. If you were here a couple of Uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, I I made mention of the Lord's Prayer and talked about how God is, when we say, hallowed be your name, we talked about how God is set apart. It doesn't necessarily mean that He's distant. 
Um, I was listening to, as I said before, I've been listening to some messages from Shane Willard and I have to say I've been learning a lot, which has been really good. And, and he, he brought up this, what I was, one I was listening to the other day, he brought up the Lord's Prayer and so I, I kind of like tuned in a little bit more closely and he was talking about this very concept of, uh, of how we kind of almost have these preconceived ideas about who God is sometimes and, uh, and how we need to have an accurate picture of who God is and, and how we learn that through the person of Jesus and the things that Jesus taught us because Jesus is the perfect revelation uh, of who God is and he talked about this part of the Lord's Prayer in fact the very first line he says our Father who art in heaven he says now a lot of us when we hear that our Father who is in heaven we what do we think of we think of a Father God who is away off somewhere in some other faraway place that we can't get to just yet but maybe one day we'll get to and go and be with him somewhere off there far away is that kind of reasonably accurate thing to say the problem with that view is that it's not exactly what Jesus was saying the Greek word which is translated heaven here is a word that is kind of a word that's used for the heavens it's a word that they would use to describe uh, was usually particularly in Greek um, writing was used to describe the the atmosphere the sky or the air that's all around us and if we take that interpretation, um, Shane suggests that a better reading of this beginning of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father, who is as close to me as the air that I breathe. That kind of puts a different perspective on God, isn't it? And we kind of, in, in some ways, there's part of us that understands, we understand that God is everywhere. And we have a number of scriptures that talk about God being all around us and with us and, and in every space and in every place. But Jesus is kind of challenging that view of God being far away, that, you know, that grandfather, long-bearded kind of guy up in the sky somewhere and saying, our God is a God who is always near. He's a God who desires to be near. He's a God who desires to be present and close and have intimate relationship with us. And this is what Jesus came to reveal about the Father is that He is not far away, but He is near. From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry until the end of it, Jesus called people to believe in Him and to obey the things that He taught, but more than that, Jesus was calling people to follow and to walk with Him. Have you ever been going somewhere and you kind of, you didn't really know the area or the, you know, but you were, um, you were with somebody else and they said, oh, just jump in your car and follow me. <laughs> And maybe you're like driving through a city or, you know, whatever the case might be. And uh, you know what it's like when that person that you're following kind of just makes it through the orange light uh, and then it goes red on you and you're kind of like stuck there and it's a really long light and you like you have no idea where they are and they're just getting further and further away. And you didn't have GPS if you're old enough to remember back in those days and you couldn't just pull out your phone and look up where to go and, uh, and all that kind of stuff and you were relying on that person. How did it feel when you just saw that person getting further and further away? You, you start to feel a little bit nervous, don't you? 
you start to feel a little bit lost. You start to feel a little bit like, um, what am I going to do? I've got no idea where I'm going. And, and I think this is part of the... the, the when, I, when I kind of think about this picture and think about how it's really easy to follow somebody who's really close. When we're really close behind someone, it's easy to kind of follow. We can see what they're doing really well. The further away they get the harder it is to follow. And I think this is a, a great picture. God didn't want to just be kind of off some remote thing, giving us a list of instructions and saying, here, do this. He wanted to be walking with us, setting the example, being this kind of role model and saying, here, do what I do, walk where I walk, go where I go. Andy Stanley talks about, some of you know him, he's a, um, a guy, a pastor of a church in in the US and we've done some, uh, we have some of his uh, Bible studies and things that some of our small groups have done but he talks about his early days growing up as a a PK in church, a pastor's kid Um, and he talks about how uh, in the early days of his walk with Jesus he believed that being a Christian was like playing a game of Jesus Says. You know like Simon Says, the kid's game and you know, only it's like Jesus says. And Jesus says, um, you know how it goes, Jesus says, go to church. Jesus says, pray. Jesus says, you know, um, don't say that word. Jesus says, you know, um, don't look over there. And he, and he talks about this idea and he says that he, he felt like if he did what Jesus said, he was okay. And if he didn't do what Jesus said, he was out of the game. You know what it's like when you, you kind of, you, you're caught out and you don't do the right thing and it's like, right, you're out, sit down. The problem was that the game was so demanding and dull, it was almost a relief to be out. He said. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever kind of been in that situation where you felt like, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that, and you're just kind of like feeling like you had to just kind of follow the rules. But here's the thing that Andy Stanley discovered. He says as he read the Gospels again and as he grew in his understanding, he says the writers of the Gospel didn't present faith as a game of Jesus says but something extraordinarily relational. Jesus didn't come to make us do random things, but to show us how to live like children of God, to follow Him. And we're kind of familiar with some of this language. If you've read any of the New Testament, you would have heard some of these kinds of uh, ideas or some of this kind of language uh, in the Gospels about following Jesus. Jesus in in John chapter 10, he talked about people who would hear his voice and know it. He says, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. And Jesus likens himself to the good shepherd who cares and loves his sheep and us as the sheep, his people who follow him, who know his voice and follow him as he walks ahead of them because we know his voice. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Now Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and to follow him meant becoming his disciple, it meant becoming his student, his apprentice if you like, to learn from him the things that he taught about how to live. 
how to know God, how to treat other people, how to know what God wants for our life. In Matthew 11, Jesus was talking to people and he said, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Don't we know that when our houses don't have solid or good foundations, when there's a problem with our foundations, that's expensive to fix, isn't it? But it causes all sorts of problems, you get walls cracking and things going wrong in your house and a solid foundation is so important and all through Jesus ministry right through to the end at the end of his ministry Jesus we, we remember the story if you've, if you've read the story before Jesus set the, the, the tone of leadership for his disciples and for all who would follow him as serving when he took on the role of a servant and he, he got a bowl of water and he began to kneel down and wash the feet of his disciples. And as he did that, he said, he said to them, I've given you an example to follow, do as I have done to you. Again and again, Jesus said to those with him, walk where I walk, pray what I pray, love how I love, do what I do. That was Jesus' kind of model of discipleship, of training, was come, walk with me, live with me, hang out with me, see what I do, see how I interact with people, see how I talk to people, see how I, I relate to people and then imitate that. In the days, in Jesus' day, the disciples of a rabbi would often uh, try to imitate like literally imitate the way that their rabbi walked and it was uh it was said that you could tell uh which rabbi a disciple was was studying under by watching the way that they walked that's interesting isn't it but what did jesus say would identify his disciples not their strange gait but you know what does anybody remember not a trick question Action. by this you sh all men will know that you are my disciples that you love one another good job baby gold star for you in John 13 he says dear children I will be with you only a little longer he's coming to the end of his time on earth he says as I told the Jewish leaders you will search for me but you can't come where I'm going so now I'm giving you a new commandment love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That is what Jesus said would be the defining characteristic of disciples, of followers of Jesus. Now, Jews in Jesus' day had kind of defined the law that started with kind of the Ten Commandments that Moses had given the people at Mount Sinai and had kind of been like extrapolated and clarified and, you know, until they had 613 different kind of laws. Now, 
Uh, it kind of sounds impressive, but I'm pretty sure we've got off a whole lot more than that in our culture today in Australia. So, and, and Jesus comes along and he summarizes the law, doesn't he, into two statements essentially, love God and love people. And it's almost like here in this statement as he's coming to the end of his ministry and he's trying to impress upon his disciples the importance of this, um, the, the, having a servant heart and loving people. He's like, if, if all of that stuff is just too much, just focus on this. Love each other. If that's the only thing that you can do, do this. Love each other. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that kind of challenging because it's much easier to love God, isn't it? God doesn't upset me the way that people do. God doesn't annoy me the way that people do. God doesn't come knocking on my door or ringing me up and demanding things or arguing with me or um, all those kinds of things that sometimes my wife does. No, no, that, that people do to annoy me and irritate me. God is perfect. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't misinterpret things. He doesn't twist my words to try to make me sound bad or any of those things that sometimes people have done um, that have, have kind of hurt, wounds. It's much easier to love God. But it's like Jesus is saying, if you can only do one thing, Love one another. If this is all you can manage, this is the number one. It's, it seems weird, doesn't it? Unfortunately, there are a lot of people today, just as there have been throughout pretty much all of history, that call themselves Christians but have no intention or make no effort of looking anything like Jesus. I'm sure that we've all seen people who call themselves Christian but use their faith or their Christianity to justify uh, hate and violence, racism, selfishness, control, forgetting that our mandate is not just to kind of do something that we can, you know, to, to live our lives in ways that we can justify by plucking some scriptures or some verses out of the Bible but we're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to be reflections of who Jesus is, aren't we? We're supposed to be Christ-like. What does love look like? What does it look like to love each other then? I don't think that we necessarily all hear the same thing when we hear those words, do we? It conjures up different images of um, what that looks like based on our own experiences of love. Some of us have not had great experiences of love. Some of us have had relationships that we called love but were actually quite broken. Sometimes one-sided, sometimes violent, sometimes controlling. How often do we see in the news people who call themselves Christians and interpret 
loving people as tell someone they're horrible and that God hates them and they're going to hell forever. We've seen those people that, you know, hold those signs, God hates this person, God hates that person. I think that Jesus understood and knew that we would struggle to define what it means to love each other. I even had people who came and asked him questions, say, well, you know, what does it mean to love my neighbour? And Jesus told them a story, didn't he? Told them a story about a man who cared for someone who was in trouble, even though he had every reason to walk on by. And those who had every reason to care for this guy, who simply chose to walk past and ignore him. Jesus explained and defined this for us by saying, as I have loved you, so you should love each other. And so we look at the stories and we have these great accounts in our Bibles today of Jesus' life. We have these stories about how He interacted with people and what it looked like uh, for Jesus. What it looked like when Jesus loved people. There are a lot of things that we could probably pull out of the Gospels, but I just want to kind of, I guess, highlight a few statements that stood out for me in looking at the way that uh, Jesus loved people. Firstly, Jesus loved both those accepted by others and those rejected by others. Jesus loved Pharisees. And He would often be, we would often read about Him uh, going and having dinner in the house of a Pharisee or, or sitting down or talking. You think about guys like uh, Nicodemus who came to Jesus even though it was at night time and he was kind of almost embarrassed to be seen with Jesus and Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't berate him, he doesn't tell him off, he doesn't kind of give him a hard time and say, how come you're ashamed to be seen with me, why are you coming to me at night time? What does he do? He answers his questions, he has a conversation, he has a dialogue, he calls him into relationship. He says there's a better uh, story for your life than this one that you're living now. But Jesus also hung out with sinners. I love how when, when we read this, some of these passages in the Bible, it puts sinners in quotation marks, particularly when it's the, the Pharisees who are saying like, you know, why does Jesus hang out with sinners? <laughs> Almost as if to say, you know, it's the people that the Pharisees considered sinners, but they probably, you know, a lot of them... I mean, now some of them were, were pretty messed up. Some of them had lives that were, were you know, uh, all kinds of sinful but some of them were probably just people that the Pharisees didn't approve of. Matthew 9 tells a story of Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector. Now, tax collectors were people who were not uh, very well liked because essentially they, they worked for the, the Roman oppressors but they also weren't particularly honest. It was a very arbitrary kind of system um, and the tax collector would basically look at your, your boat or your land or your house or your goods or whatever it was at that particular time and just figure out a sum of tax that you were meant to pay. 
And then often they would kind of skim the little bit extra off the top or there was this big temptation, it was a common kind of thing. Um, I, I was reading up a little bit about this and, and unlike our system of tax in as bad as, you know, as, as frustrating as it is at times, uh, our taxation system, um, back in those days, uh, regions were basically like auctioned or sold off to people who would buy them for the rights to tax the people in that region. And so these rich people would basically buy this kind of like license to tax people in a certain region and then whatever they could gather was their profit. So of course there was a lot of incentive for them to raise taxes and to tax everything and to tax people coming and going and tax entry into the marketplace and tax boats and to tax houses and to tax this and that and everything else. Because they, you know, everything they could make on top of what they paid was, was their profit. It's sort of a fairly self-serving kind of... It, it leaves itself very open to corruption there, doesn't it? But we read this story. It says, Jesus was walking along. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Don't you love the way the New Living Translation puts that? Kind of really puts some emotion and feeling into it, doesn't it? But essentially, like, the Pharisees are looking at Jesus and going, this is a guy who is trained as a rabbi. Doesn't he know that eating with these people and sitting down and having fellowship with these people is going pl- to make him unclean and it's, gonna, you know, it's, it's unacceptable and it's just not the thing that you do? And it's, you can almost hear like this, this kind of confusion in their voice as they're saying, why would Jesus do that? Doesn't he know what kind of people they are? It says, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus was quite prepared to eat with those who were not the acceptable people in society. He hang out with prostitutes, with people whose lives were messed up. Secondly, Jesus loved with no consideration of what he might gain or lose. Jesus seemed to give no thought to whether hanging out with someone would hurt his reputation. He didn't seem to care whether they were people who had something to offer. There was no kind of special concessions made to those who had money, who could, you know, perhaps support his ministry. There was no sort of special deals or special offers or special favours for the rich. There was no favouritism. It didn't matter whether people had anything to give back or not. Jesus loved. Jesus loved people before seeing any change in their lives. How often do we look at people and go, well, they just keep doing the same things, 
they're, they're not changing, they don't seem to care about, you know, getting things right or sorting things out or whatever in their life. There's so many times in Jesus' uh, story that we hear of accounts where he, he would interact with people and He would love them and accept them and talk to them before there was even any indication that they might be receptive to His message or willing to change their lives or turn things around. And again and again and again, what we see is transformation. Transformation and change that came not because Jesus demanded it, but because they felt accepted, because they felt loved, because they were inspired by a guy who loved them and cared for them as they were. Look at people like Zacchaeus. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? He was a chief tax collector, he was the tax collector over the whole region, and he was a really rich guy. But people hated him. And he heard that Jesus was coming through this town and, and he was like, I've got to see this Jesus. I, I, this raises all kind of questions for me because I have no idea what motivated him or, or prompted him to want to see Jesus. But here was a guy who was, who maybe he'd heard stories of Jesus caring for people or, or accepting people or talking to other tax collectors or, and he thought, maybe here's a way that, you know, I don't know. But it says he wanted to go and see Jesus, but there was the, the crowds were too big and he couldn't see. So he climbed up into a tree. Creative, you've got to give him that. <laughs> As Jesus comes by, Jesus calls out to him. He calls him by name. He doesn't just say, Hoy, you, get down here. He says, Zacchaeus, you better come down because I'm coming over to your place for lunch. Or something along those lines. Here is a man who all he wanted was a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus sees him and loves him. The woman at the well, Jesus encountered in um, John chapter 4. There's this woman who's been married five times and she's now with a, she's kind of shacked up with another bloke that she's not married to and uh, not to mention the fact that she's a Samaritan, who the Jews all hated. Jesus comes along and says, oh, you get me some water out of the well? Pour me a drink? She's like, if you knew who I was, like, why are you asking me for a drink? Like, Jesus loves her and interacts with her and talks with her and talks about this living water that he would offer he said if you knew what i had to offer you'd be asking me for a drink of water now does he challenge her to change yes but he doesn't use he refuses to use shame and guilt to kind of try to pressure somebody into changing their life he doesn't use the jesus says kind of model of discipleship he inspires her he loves her he cares for her you remember the story of the rich young ruler this guy comes jesus says i've kept all the laws and you know what do i have to do jesus says jesus looked at him and loved him not every story has a happy ending does it jesus said go and Give away all your money to the poor and come and follow me. 
And it says this young man went away sad because he had great wealth. He wasn't prepared to give it up. Did that stop Jesus from loving him? Jesus loved the faithful and the unfaithful. We, we know the story of Peter. Jesus was put on trial. Peter disowned Jesus, didn't he? Three times. Jesus forgave him. Jesus restored him. Jesus never stopped loving Peter, even though Peter had turned his back, even though Peter had betrayed Jesus, even though Peter had walked away and, 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 and disowned, denied even knowing who he was. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed by somebody that you thought was a friend, somebody that you thought would have your back and then when the chips were down and when you needed them, they weren't there for you. Jesus knows what that feels like. Jesus was betrayed and, and left, abandoned by everybody who was close to him. All the people who should have had his back. He knows what that's like. And yet he continues to love and forgive. Love and forgive. I think too about Judas. We remember Judas Iscariot, the disciple who walked with Jesus for three years and yet never seemed to allow the power of God to work in his life and bring transformation. He ended up betraying Jesus to the high priests who sought to kill him. But there's this really interesting account in John chapter 13, which sort of it occurs during the, the Passover feast, what we call, what we know as the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And you would remember, if you've been part of a church and you've been part of a communion service, it's a, 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 something that we, we talk about often here in our church. Jesus talked about how the bread and the wine that were part of that Passover feast represented his body that was broken and his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sin, for, for his followers, for his people. John chapter 13, verse 21, we read this account of an interaction between Jesus and, and Judas. It's 20, verse 21 says, Now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Verse 26, it says, Jesus, and of course the disciples were like, Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? In verse 26, it says, It's the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Do you get the significance of what Jesus is doing? Jesus knows what Judas is about to do and yet he says, here is my body that was broken for you. It's like he's saying, my body was broken for you, Judas. This is available to you just as much as anybody else. doesn't matter what you have done or will do, we know that Judas wasn't the most honest guy. He'd been skimming out of the purse and doing all kinds of things. Jesus is saying, my body was broken for you. 
Here's the challenge for us today. To love each other, to love people the way that Jesus loved. To love people whether they're faithful or unfaithful. To love people whether they've got something to offer in return or whether they've got nothing to offer in return. To love people whether they're whether they run in acceptable social circles or whether they don't, whether they're outcasts, whether they're people that others look down on, whether we risk losing reputation by loving people and caring for people or not. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. He says, love unselfishly. He says, love sacrificially. Love without thought of what others might think of you. Love without preference or favoritism. Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say. This is what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. This is what it means to follow Him. And I think for us as a church in this year ahead, I I believe that God is really challenging us to think outside of just our own kind of church family. Challenging us to to love people and to care for people and to show them that God has a better story for their life than what they've experienced so far. To show people that there is a God who loves them and a God who cares for them. Can we pray together? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that you showed us what love is. In your word it says that we know what love is by the way that you loved us. That even when we were still sinners, you loved us and gave your life for us. When we didn't deserve it, you loved us. When we were angry and resentful and rebellious, You loved us. When we betrayed you and turned against you, you loved us. And you call us to love. You call us to allow your spirit to so infiltrate and permeate every part of our being and every part of who we are that we love others the way that Jesus did. Lord, we know that we're not always going to get that right. But Lord, we pray that you would be working in us. We pray that your spirit would be changing and shaping and molding us as we, as we learn and as we grow to be more like Jesus every day. Father, we pray that you would help us to do the things that help us to draw near to you, to follow closely behind, to, to study and examine the, the way that Jesus walked so that we could imitate it. Father, we pray that you would continue to show us how to love people in our families, in our community, in our workplaces, in our social groups. Father, that you would help us to be people who carry that defining characteristic that says these are people who follow Jesus. Lord, we know that we need you to help us with that. But Lord, we want to take steps in, in, in that direction. 
We want to walk in that direction. We want to listen to that voice. We want to follow you as you lead and as you guide. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at bethelcrc.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.